You know, Paul the Apostle, he makes an oath of allegiance. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but now I live my life according to Jesus Christ. He was changed. He was transformed. We don't know when that word sacrament came about. But the word sacrament was adopted by the Christians. Because the Roman soldiers, they will make an oath of allegiance. It was called a sacramentum. Almost basically like the capital of California. Sacramento. Sacra means sacred. Mento is an oath. The Russians. The Russians. The Romans. The Russians. <laughs> Woohoo! Or maybe them too, but for sure the Romans. The Romans used to make an oath of allegiance. They were powerful. They were fierce. Historically, we know them as, as, as shock troops. The Romans were. And after boot camp, they would graduate and they will, we don't know what kind of oath they would have. Sometimes you see in the movies where they do this, they hit themselves. Or sometimes they, they grab themselves each other like this. We don't know, but we do know that it was an oath of allegiance. It was a, a sacred oath. And they would say something like this. Upon this shield, they were presented with a beautiful Roman shield. I will come as a victor to Rome or upon this shield, my body will come back to Rome, you know, defending the motherland and Caesar. And so the Christians adopted this. We call this the oath of allegiance, a, a sacred oath. And we are, called, we are told that the Christian community have two sacred sacraments. That is baptism and then the Lord's communion. That's what we call sacraments. The traditional historical church, they have seven. I don't know where they, they, they get the other five. It's not historical. It's not biblical. It's man-made. But we do know that God requires to be baptized. Amen? And the other one, we need to partake of communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink it, you know, I'll, you'll think of me and what I just done for you. Forgive you of your sins. Now, in time, I don't know about you. How many here are married? And show me your left hand, left hand. That's what the ring's supposed to be. You see, you and I made an oath in front of your wife's parents, your parents, all the neighborhood, and everybody that wanted to eat for free, they came to your wedding. <laughs> and somewhere along the line, maybe you did it in your traditional church, you, knee, you knelt and, and you were Googling your wife, and, and they asked you, you know, your vows. And you say, for better or for worse, to have and to hold in sickness or in health, whatever. We make an oath of allegiance. And we are given a ring to remind us of such allegiance. My first oath of allegiance, I was 17 years old. I went to the induction center, 1969. I'm 17 years old. I'm going to join the United States Marine Corps. I told you. <laughs> We're brainwashed, man. More of that in a moment. Now, I made an oath of allegiance. We stuck out our right hand and we made an oath that we would defend the Constitution of the United States against all foreign enemies. We chose to go in. I volunteered. I didn't I get drafted. There were people there a little older than me, like 19, 23. Uh, they were asking, please, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And they had a bra on. Says, I don't want to go. No, I'm serious. 
And they were saying, you know, anything to get out of it. I joined. I enlisted. And thus, I made an oath of allegiance. And here we go. And more about this regimentation, this boot camp experience. And this is the title of this message, the Christian boot camp. What is the purpose of boot camp? Oh, man. To change your habits. You see, we call that indoctrination. That's the first time I ever heard that word. We're going to have to indoctrinate you, boys. Indoctrinate you. I've never heard that. I heard of the doctrine, Monroe Doctrine in, in history. But it has nothing to do with that. Indoctrination is basically a legitimate way to brainwash you. You heard the guy doing that. Hoorah! He's brainwashed. <laughs> I'm brainwashed. I'll never be the same. You see, something happened in boot camp that I can never forget. I can't explain it to you unless you've gone through that boot camp. And so I was transformed. Perhaps not willingly. <laughs> I had to. Because my butt belonged to Uncle Sam. <laughs> I was no longer able to call my mommy, my older brother, the homeboys, no more. It was now my drill instructor. Who told me, I'm your daddy. I'm your mommy. I'm your uncle. I'm your dog. I'm your pet. I'm your girlfriend. But I do nothing with you. I am everything to you. I tell you when to go to the bathroom. I tell you when to get a haircut. I tell you when to get up. I tell you when to go to sleep. I tell you when you are going to eat. I run your life. And you say, oh, Lord, have mercy. I got two years 11 months and 29 days of this madness. More on that in a moment. And then another oath of allegiance. I became a Christian. Jesus did not expect me to make an oath of allegiance. But I came forward to receive the Lord in 1975. And then I was baptized. See, baptism, you already say, baptism does not converts you baptism is an oath of allegiance it's an expression it's an outward expression of our inward work you say poncho died with all his madness with all his embarrassment with all his shame he died what am i going to do right now is that someone's going to dunk me in the water in the likeness and the burial of jesus christ symbolically i'm going to be buried with jesus and the water, which is a, it's a symbol, biblically, is a symbol of purity. Buried with Jesus, but raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Born again. Many, many people would change their names upon baptism. In the second and third century, you know, they had heathen names. Like you have a guy who says, you know, just broken wing. That was his name. And when he was baptized, he chose a name like perhaps, you know, Christian or Grace. And they would change into Christian names on the day of baptism because they knew how powerful that was. And then after I made that oath to follow Jesus Christ, you know, there's always that song. It's my theme song. 
Some of you have not heard it, but you see, there are times when I felt like walking away from the Lord. I know many of you don't feel that way. But I, there was times when I said, you know what? I can't run this race anymore, man. It's too much. I feel like throwing in the towel. That's a boxing term when you're getting beat up. And you can't defend yourself anymore. And you look at your corner and say, hey, fool, throw the towel, throw the towel. <laughs> See, I can't, throw, I can't go in the corner and throw it. I can't do that. And so your technician, your, your, your technical, or your coach, they have to throw in the towel, indicating that it's over. Throw in the towel, you give up, you capitulate. There's times in my Christian life that I wanted to do that because the enemy is out there. Ephesians chapter 6, and you can turn there if you want. Ephesians chapter 6, and you look at Ephesians chapter 6, and you find there... In, in, in Paul, in verse 10, there's a song, there's an old hymn that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning what? No turning back, no turning back. And then the next phrase says, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. And the third stanza is this, though none go with me, I still shall follow. No turning back. No turning back. That's my thing. If you don't know that song, you're going to practice it today. Because that's how I like to close a service. Not with an applause, not with that stuff, but I like to end the service worshiping God. Not elevating man or not elevating this event, but God. And hopefully some of you today will return to Jesus Christ because you're prodigal sons. Or some of you are here still wigging out. You're not a Christian, but you're wigging out. You're saying, man, what's going on? These guys, I know some of these guys, and they're here on a Saturday worshiping God, clapping and holding hands. What's going on? They have to see is the power of God. And perhaps you have an opportunity to receive the Lord today. But after I made that oath to Jesus, I made another oath. And that oath became when I got married to my wife. I made an oath. I made an oath of her parents. They're gone to be with the Lord, both of them. I was a Christian. Her father did not want me to marry his daughter. You see, he knew me from the, before I became a Christian. And he saw me as a new Christian, but as a father, he, still, he was looking at the other side. He never forgotten he used to see me smoke weed, and she, he, would tell, he, he would tell his daughter, what are you doing with a loser like that? You see, he didn't know that his daughter was worse than me. <laughs> it was. <laughs> see, I'm sweating on that one already. <laughs> but she was worse. But I couldn't tell him anything. And so against his wishes... It wasn't one of those weddings where he embraced me and he kisses me. It was, it was like he said that when he gave his daughter away, it was like giving a expensive suitcase to a gorilla. <laughs> wow. So we married. And I made an oath. It wasn't your typical traditional oaths and vows. I had my own. Very emotional. I, I got it on, on film, not on video, because there was no video back then. We got it on film. And I'm crying, and I'm telling her, I love you, man. All the way to the end. I love you. 
I'll never rank God on you. And the pastor said, what does that mean he never rank God on you? Eh? <laughs> but she knew, as long as she knew what it was, I'll never rank God on you, man. I'm, I'm in bad times and good times, you know, in rich for poor, I'm always with you. And who knew that 29, 27 years later that she would ask me, do you still love me when she had brain cancer? Do you still love me the way she looks? Her hair was falling off. She had so much steroids. She was so, so huge from the water retention. She had a moon face from so much uh, uh, steroids. She had a bigger mustache than me because of steroids. And it was a horrible, appealing look at, just looking at her. And she said, do you still love me? I said, still love you, man. For better or for worse. In sickness and in health. Toots, I'm with you all the way. It's an oath of allegiance. I made an allegiance. I married her in 1976. And you know, I didn't want to, never want to become an American citizen. Because the last time I was signing papers, man, I ended up in Vietnam, dude. So, uh, you know, when I was in Vietnam, I'm a non-combat Vietnam veteran. I, I don't have that dignity like these men that had fought. I'm not there. And I don't want to take nothing away from them. I am not a combat veteran. But I was there. I was in country. Nevertheless, they will say, hey, Punch, you know, you're an immigrant. You can become an American citizen, man. Just go to the Squanson Hut, man. Just sign papers. I ain't signing nothing, Holmes. <laughs> Just sign, man. And you can become automatically citizen. Anybody that fights in foreign land under the American flag. You become an automatic citizen. I said, no way. Well, I regretted it. But later on, in 1978, I chose to become an American. I chose to become an American. Some of you are born here. But I chose to become an American. I wanted to be an American. And thus, once again, I go into this big place, big arena with with the court and the judges. And they give you a little American flag made in China. (laughs) you know and once again we raise our right hand and we make an oath of allegiance do you know that all of us all of us as men you made an oath of allegiance either to the Lord Jesus Christ or to your wife and if you're single you're going to have to do the same thing you have to give an oath Some of us, because we are men, we're in a culture where we dominate. But the moment you become a Christian, your culture has to change. Because the Bible says, honor your wives. In our culture, we don't honor our wives. We belittle them. We play on them. We make them cry. We don't take care of them. That's our culture, man. That's a pathological cultural deficiency in our own communities. We drink a lot, we party a lot, and we like to sleep around. We like to be with the other thing. Once you become a Christian, my friends, that culture has to go out the window. You are now a born-again Christian. 
You are now a man of God. The responsibility of the headship, the stewardship is on you, the father, the man, not a rancor, not someone who doesn't know how to take care of his own household. You, by the grace of God, if you want your wife to submit to you, the Bible says, wives, submit unto your husband as unto the Lord. That means that you and I, as Christian fathers, as Christian fathers and husbands, we must cater we must accommodate we must honor them we must exalt them we must protect them listen our wives are crying out there's a huge onslaught against the christian community i believe that satan wants to destroy our families and he does it by either sexual deviancy pornography excess drinking we do it to so much madness and we always blame it on everybody else except us Shifting the blame. You know, well, that's the way I was, you know. You know, the old man was a drunkard, you know. You know, genetically, I'm the same way. No, it's over. You're a new Christian. You're a new person. All things have changed. But I believe that there's a battle taking place. Going back to boot camp. Boot camp, we have what we call an indoctrination. Paul the Apostle here, as he's closing his letter in Ephesians... He says, finally, my brethren, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice how he prefaces his desire for you and I as Christians. Because he, Paul the apostle, he exhorting the Christian believers by preparing them for unprecedented hardships to come. As a Christian, you and I are going to go through hardship. We're going to go through some inconveniences. We're going to go through some turmoils. We're going to go through perhaps some kind of social persecution. We're going to go through some kind of dilemma, some kind of inconvenience in our lives as Christians. Paul the Apostle says, listen, the battle has been won. However, he said, there's an enemy still lurking there. And he's trying to deceive you. He told the same thing to Timothy he told Timothy, forgive me, he told 2 Corinthians 2.11. He says, do not let Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul says, we're not ignorant of his devices. The Greek word is methodia, where we get our English word method or methodology. You see, that word comes out as scheme, shenanigans, or mischief. Satan is a strategist. You see, if I'm Satan, and this gentleman here has a weakness with alcohol, I'm going to play on that weakness. If this gentleman over here has a caveat for funny women, Chaka Khan kind of girls. Either one of you, you both look like players. So, if I'm Satan, I'm not going to mess with with alcohol, I'm not going to mess with anger. I'm just going to bring Shaka Khan to you. That's it. And if you are dealing over here with, with drugs, you don't care about women. Even though you like women, drugs overpower you. And if I'm Satan, I'm going to make as much as possible to accommodate you. Make sure I got some hoodlums working around me that work for me. And you know that Satan has a lot of agents. You know that. Here too. And I said, you know what? Go work on this guy. What is your name? Lorenzo. 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 So I tell one of my minions, 
Hey, you know Lorenzo? Yeah, the crackhead. <laughs> Do me a favor. Can you rattle him? And they'll rattle you. Lorenzo, it's free. It's free. If you have an anger problem, you don't, it's not about women. It's not about alcohol. It's not about that. You have an anger problem. You know, I'm, I'm going to mess with your anger. Because I'm going to try to destroy you. Some of you have issues with pride. Your pride destroys. So I'm going to use pride as much as I can. You see, that's the enemy. When we go through boot camp, we go through indoctrination. When we go through boot camp, we have to go through not only indoctrination, we got to go through physical training. We got to go through inculcation, programming, physical conditioning, and more indoctrination. Discipline, self-discipline, excessive and intense process of propaganda, and more indoctrination until we come to that term brainwashing. When we get to boot camp, we don't know how to march. Left face. You know, oh. <laughs> left flank, left flank, what's that? By the time you graduate, you're sharp. Boom. Left flank, boom, boom. You're sharp. What happened? Man, you brainwashed. <laughs> you're able to know the nomenclature of your weapon. We were there when we were using the M14, and we were graduating in Vietnam to the M16. We had to learn both. We have to break down our weapons while we're blindfolded, break them down and put them back together in less than 30 seconds. You're talking about being brainwashed. That at the end of boot camp, all I wanted to hear, you made it. That's it. That's all I want to hear. Without me realizing it, I was so square that the, the, the drill instructor said, you're going to have muscles where you never thought you had muscles. Well, I had muscles everywhere. I mean, and I was only 18 years old. Man, 20-inch waist. Man, I knew how to handle M60 machine gun, M79 blooper, M60 machine gun. I threw grenades, frags, smoke, whatever, man. I rode on a helicopter, and I'm 18 years old. I go back on my 30-day leave, and I got my friends still drinking in the porch. Yes. So what are you doing, eh? And I'm over here. Dude, I'm all square. I'm just healthy, man. You see, I went through an indoctrination. These guys are still doing the same thing. And I'm saying, I got to kill. I love killing. Let's go. I, I couldn't wait to go to my, to go to get additional training. I went to jungle survival. I went to jungle training. I went to booby trap training. We had a mock village from Vietnam, a mock village, and we would need to be careful all the booby traps. We went through intense, intense training. One writer that went through boot camp said this quote. He wrote a wonderful book. He says this, start by massive disorientation. Cut all the ties with our former identity in both practical ways. No radio, no TV, no publications except those of the group. And symbolic ones to boot. Shave all our hair. Wear the same uniform. Modify our bodies requiring us to speak a special language. Emphasizing and reminding us that we were subhuman status as the recruit is forbidden to use the first person singular. 
and must refer to himself in the third person. The DIs keep us tired, force us to repeat repetitive slogans, imposing on us with rules of behavior, with extreme exaggerated strictness, and never explaining to us what's going on. The purpose of this 12-week indoctrination is to produce the most efficient, disciplined, and gallant killing machine. Individuality is scorned and is considered as the ultimate transgression, inserting instead into the mind of the recruit honorable traits of team concept, team effort, teamwork ethic. Boot camp is controlled chaos with the all-powerful drill instructors at the helm. They control everything you do from the order and speed of getting dressed to the way you eat, you sleep, and use the bathroom to the way you walk, to the way you talk, to the way you sit, to the way you worship, to the way you stand, to the amount of water you consume, and so on, until you only do and think what is ordered for you, which usually comes in the form of shouts and shoving. At a certain point, you lose that nasty civilian trait of individuality mentioned by your recruiter, and you accept it. No, he says, you enjoy it. And you enjoy the fact that you are under their control, unquote. You're brainwashed. You see, in the same way you and I, as Christians, we need to go through indoctrination. What does that mean? You are no longer the same. Now you have a different guide. Now you have a different commander-in-chief. Someone who is greater than your wife, than your parents, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ now is your commanding officer. Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? See, we're now become soldiers. Paul always equated the Christian life to an athlete or to a soldier. And he included a farmer. What does a farmer, a soldier, and an athlete have in common? Discipline. Can you imagine a boxer getting up at 12 o'clock and eating a burrito and then practice at 12 o'clock with a burrito in his stomach? That's not cool. They get up at 0300 boxers in Big Bear, California, and that's where a lot of the boxers, Vargas and the, the La Hoyas or the La Hoya, the La Hoya from Islos, they're there up in, in Big Bear. They, and in, at 4 o'clock in the morning, you see them running. All these boxers, 4 o'clock in the morning. They cannot eat certain things. They abstain from sexual activity because it diminishes them. They have discipline. What kind of farmer will get up at 12 o'clock to feed the chickens? 12 o'clock. The farmer gets up before the sun comes up. And the soldier, same thing. A soldier, he has to be up 24 hours. He doesn't have a choice. Oh, I'm taking my break. You have no breaking up. There's, there's no way you can say, no, this is my day off. There's no day off in the military. There's no days off. So Paul is equating our Christian life as a soldier. Don't be mindful anymore of the civilian things. See, you and I are now members of the kingdom of the light. We are no longer in darkness. We are to expose the deeds of darkness. We are no longer to, to dabble in the things of darkness. Because we have been recruited by Jesus Christ to become soldiers of light and righteousness. Therefore, we cannot be the same thing. When I was in the military, I had to wear my uniform when we landed at certain ports of call. They wouldn't allow me to wear my civilian clothes. Because they wanted the people to know that if they mess with you wearing your uniform, 
They're actually messing with the government of the United States. Those were the days. Now, now it's different. Now even, even Iraq is making fun of us now. We can take Iraq. You know that. We can take them. And, I mean, they're nothing, man. But politically, they're like Vietnam. I mean, we can do it in around six days. If Israel helps us, it will take two days. <laughs> Serious. But politically, it's incorrect. But that's my personal, forgive me. <laughs> so anyway, Paul says here, man, listen. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to what? Okay, keep that in mind, okay? To stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles. Now be honest. I was reading the Bible. I'm thinking, what are wiles? I'll be back a little while. What is a while? This is, this is written in the signal from the 1600s. This is the King James. Wiles was a term that was used by the English back in the 1600s. The English who speak now, especially in, in New Mexico, it ain't the English who speak in England. What is a while? A while just basically means tricks, devices, schemes. It's a schemer. And so Paul says, be careful that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why, Paul? Because we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Our fight is against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there's our enemy. Our enemy is not physical. You see, if you pop me, if I see you, you slap me, I ask you, dude, why you slap me? I saw you slapping me. Because we're in this physical dimension that we can see each other. But if I feel someone slapping me and there's no one around, and I can't blame anyone. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I, I, something's going on in my house. Something's going on in my marriage. Something's going on with my children. Something's going on with my health. You see, it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual world. We, we can't see it. He says, for we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. But he goes into the dimension of the spirit world. And you cannot fight the spirit world. How can you fight the spirit world? Notice that God is not saying for us to fight. All he's asking us to what? Stand. There are people who say, let's go and kick Satan's butt. You go. (laughs) He's been around for 2,000 years. I'm sure you and three other homeboys are going to go and beat him up. He's no match for us. He is no match for us. Paul says our weapons are not physical, but our weapons are spiritual. To tear down strongholds. We do it by prayer. We do it in the name of Jesus. When people come and say, can you come to my house? You know, there's something going on creepy in there. That's the part I don't like being a pastor. But in our community, there's a lot of heebie-jeebies goes on. <laughs> so we go to the house. Now that I have staff, they go. <laughs> hey, they got to earn their bones, man. They got to earn their bones. 
But when I used to go, I used to go into the house and I said, okay, Father, I confess my sin. I, I, Father, anything, Lord Jesus, has cleansed me. And I will walk into the house and the moment I'll step in the house, I'll just say, in the name of Jesus Christ, the master and the Lord of everything, whatever is here, move in the name of Jesus. That's it. I mean, there was no sensational, spectacular. It was like, you know, like it was the outer limits or things like that. Nothing. The X-Files, none of that stuff. It was just a confirmation that the name of Jesus Christ is powerful, man. It's powerful. The name of Jesus is powerful. Jesus, Jesus, name above that is every other name. Satan cannot handle when you praise Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't know what to do with you. When he wants to hurt you, when he wants to, you want that crack, Lorenzo? And you said, yes, I want the crack, but in the name of Jesus, I don't want it. Oh, yeah. Satan does not like it. The Bible says if we, if we resist him, he will flee from us. If you begin to attain it, Lorenzo, hypothetically, if you begin to resist it, the Lord will bless you. And the Lord will keep him away from you. You see, you guys are just players. We're not between each other. <laughs> I'm in with the opposite sex. But if you honor the Lord by recognizing that this is a scheme. One day, man, I was in Frankfurt, Germany. Alone, which I don't do that anymore. I'm with my daughter today. I don't travel alone anymore. That's called precautionary. But what happened in, in, in Frankfurt on my way to Russia? I was in Frankfurt, man. And this tall Viking looking girl came up to me. <laughs> and she says, uh, you're an American? I said, uh, I sure am. I have a layover for seven hours. I said, well, mine's five hours. You want to go to a bar and drink? I said, oh, no, no, no. In my mind, I was going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now, I'm confessing to you the filthy mind that I have. If you feel embarrassed for that, I apologize. I'm telling you the way I felt. I'm in Europe. No one knows me. I'm alone. My Bible's in my backpack. I look like I'm just backpacking in Europe. <laughs> she didn't know I'm a pastor. And I'm thinking, dude, I mean, hey. Oktoberfest. <laughs> so, and she says, listen, if you don't, he says, maybe we can go half and half on a, on a room and we can kick it like that. Now, I realize, you know, I'm not that handsome. I know that. My wife thinks so, and that's all that matters. But I know that it wasn't because I look sharp. You know, I've been flying for 15 hours. No one looks good after 15 hours flying coach. And, I, and then I realized, you know, she's all made up. What does she want from me? And I said, you know, I finally came to my senses and I said, you know, I, 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 I'd rather kick it here. Oh, why? And that's when I took my Bible. I said, you know, if I have five hours, I have to study because I'm going to go teach at a Christian Bible school in Russia because I'm a pastor and I'm going to read my Bible instead. And that's when she said, oh. 
And then she knew that I was supposed to. When she left, it was a sigh of relief, but it was a sigh of sadness too. Because I'm saying, man, that would have been a hookup right here. (laughs) But then it was a sign of relief because I believe in my own life because I'm a pastor. Because I'm a husband. I'm a father of five. I believe because I love Jesus Christ. I have a calling in my life. You see, Satan would like to destroy me first. You understand that? Satan's trying to destroy Pastor Ray. And Satan knows what our weaknesses are. So if you stay away from your weaknesses. My daughters know. I have four daughters, one son. They know when we go to the beach. We live close by Huntington Beach. And they know that when we go to the beach, they, I, I have... A rule. You want to go to the beach? We go in at 7.30 in the morning. And we leave by 11 o'clock. Why? Because there's so much dental floss all over the place. (laughs) If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. (laughs) At 11 o'clock, that's when all the dental floss bathing suits come in. And that's when I said, oh, no, we got to go. Round them up. Let's get out of here. Why? Because I'm holy? No, because I'm a... I used to be a pervert and a deviant, and I know where I'm not supposed to be. I get out of my car with my children. Let's go. Why? Because the dental floss brigade is coming, <laughs> and I, I cannot fight that because I've been there. I don't even enjoy the waves. I'm just going like this. Wow, 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 wow. And I go home. I see my wife. What happened? Wow. That's not cool, man. So I stay away from them. Let me finish this. Check this out. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against Chamuco, against the rulers of darkness, against this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because you're doing this kind of fighting... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Withstand in the evil day and having done all to what? To stand, waste with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now Paul describes the armor of God. The full panoply as they call it. Panoply. That's the whole outfit. The helmet was to protect your what? Your head or your mind. And... The breastplate was to protect your vitals or your heart. Everything is defensive. The only thing we have offensive is the sword, the word of God. That's all we have. God does not want you to go after this place and go to the dark places of Albuquerque and go into darkness. Satan, we had a Bible study tonight. Come on, let's get it on. Don't do that. He'll come to you. The moment you begin to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, the moment you decide to stop messing around, the moment you decide to return to Jesus Christ, the moment you make a resolution inside of you, the moment you make a sacramentum of your own and say, you know, Lord, for you always, 
I'm going to go forward. The bells of hell will ring and Satan will sell all the minions and he'll go after you. If you don't want Satan to do nothing for you, just kick it. See, an inactive person, think strategically. Our job is to, to neutralize people in case of war. The, the word wrestle is the Greek word for that, that, that Olympic uh, wrestling uh, uh, element. We call it grappling. Anybody heard that word grappling? Grappling is a Greek type of wrestling. It's not what you see on television today. That's acting. Oh, did I shock somebody? I'm sorry. <laughs> but grappling was the ability to neutralize our opponent. You neutralize him. You neutralize him. That's how you win wars. The Bible says that Satan wants to neutralize you. So if you are an inactive Christian, if you're a Christian who doesn't have any potency, you're impotent. If you're a Christian without making a difference, why will Satan mess with you? He's saying, leave him alone. He's already jacked up. Leave him alone. True. But if an enemy is active, we need to know. You see, when I was going through boot camp and through rifle training, we would have to hear the sound of an AK-47. That is the weapon of choice for the Vietnamese, as it is today in Iraq. It has a different sound. And the, and the MR-15, as they're using now, is very different. We are told that whenever you capture an AK-47 from the enemy and you run out of ammo, don't use that AK-47. Because we're trained to hear that noise. And wherever it's coming from, we'll begin to direct fire to that clack, clack, clack. Because we heard that noise. We need to know the enemy. How do they work? What is the strategy of the enemy? What do they do? Oh, they have, they have bombs on the side of the road? Yes, IEDs. What are they made of? What do they consist of? What are the telltale signs? We need to know how the enemy works. So, you know, you and I need to know that we cannot be ignorant of Satan's schemes. We're in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told in combat that any sharpshooter, he says, the sharpshooters to neutralize a platoon or enemy you destroy him who has communication equipment. That's the first guy you need to neutralize. Because they're able to relay. When you destroy the communications guy, you're ahead of the game. And when you destroy the officer, you're ahead of the game. And then pandemonium. No communication, no direction, no execution. And, and now the soldiers are left to themselves. See, Satan knows how to do that. You're the head of the home. He goes after you, messes with you, destroys your family, destroys the reputation of your children. Your children will begin to dislike you, have no respect for you. Your children look at you just like I do my father. My father is my father. I don't respect my father. My father was irreverent, disrespectful. He will slap my mom. I have no respect for this man at all. None at all. Why? Because he was not a man of honor. The man like women, 
and alcohol and vice. And that's how he died, as an alcoholic. My brother died as an alcoholic too. He ingested a whole, a whole fifth of vodka on Christmas Day. As I was on my way to Spain with Pastor David Rosales, Pastor Bob Grenier, we were at LAX when I got that call. He says, you found your brother on Christmas Day. But I knew my brother did not commit suicide. My brother just drank himself to death. He just really had, he didn't have a gauge. He accepted Christ around two weeks before he died. I believe that my, my, my brother's in heaven. I just believe that my, my brother was so, so out of it that he just, he was like a mental impaired child because of the alcohol. But he received Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that Satan is after you. But don't worry. Jesus Christ always has your back. Put on the helmet of salvation to protect your head. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shot your feet with the preparation of peace of the gospel. Get your sword up. Let's go forward. Get involved in ministry in whatever church you belong to. Get involved in the kingdom of God. Do not be part of darkness, but rather exposed to darkness. And let's go forward. I hope that next year you and I can meet again, Lord willing, next year. Because I'm a board member of this church. And so, Lord willing, I see you next year. And that you are entrenched in the things of God. You're, in, you're involved in a Bible study, a Bible school. You're now a, a prominent person in the church and in your family for the kingdom of God. And you will see this area turn for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Take one person. One person. One person. One person. So, let's all stand, gentlemen. Let's all stand. I, I thank you for your visit here. I, I thank you for your generosity and your attention. But it will be of no value if we don't make a, a sacramentum, an oath of allegiance. You don't have to come down here right where you're at. As we worship, you make a sacramentum to God. What is it? I don't know. To be a better husband, perhaps? Perhaps you don't have to rank out your shame of the gospel. I don't know. Perhaps you compromise, you capitulate, and, and you're not really a person that, that, that shares Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you're not involved in ministry. Or perhaps you have so much money that you're wasting instead of giving it to kingdom work. Or perhaps you have no money at all. Perhaps you're contemplating getting involved in ministry. Perhaps you want to need to go back home and, and, and look at your wife in, in her eyes and say, Babe, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Perhaps you need to talk to your children and say, I'm sorry. For what? You know why. You just need to say, I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry, mijo. I'm sorry, my son. I'm not a good father. Forgive me. Let me try. I don't know. But right there and then as you worship God, you can make that own oath of allegiance to God quietly without any sensation without any spectacularism without any emotionalism right where you're at as we worship but let me ask one more thing if you're not a Christian and you're here and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ I would ask you to receive him today right where you're at you don't have to come down but right where you're at the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus rose from the dead you shall be saved. Just receive him. Receive him. That's it. The only thing that will keep you from receiving him is Satan lying to you. We expose Satan today. 
The only thing that can hold you is your pride. I can't do it. I don't need Jesus. Don't let your pride destroy your eternal life. Your pride has destroyed probably relationships, perhaps jobs, and produced anger. For once in your life, don't let pride govern your decision. If you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ right now, and you want me to pray for you, whoever you are, would you just raise your hand and say, Punch, pray for me. I want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. God bless you, sir. God bless you, too. God bless you in the back. God bless you, sir. Both of you here, God bless you, sir, in the back. Anybody else, God bless you, sir. You can put him down. Anybody else, if you haven't raised your hand, just raise your hand. Anybody else, quickly. Anybody else, God bless you, both of you. Love you. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you, mijo. How old are you, mijo? How old are you? 11 years old. Mm, the Lord bless you. Amen. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else? Quickly. Anybody else? Just raise your hand and say, Punch, I want Jesus. I want Jesus in my heart right now. Anybody else? For those of you that lift up your hands, would you do me a favor? Would you repeat this prayer out loud with me? Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm ashamed of my sin. And I confess my sin before you. I ask you to come into my heart. As my Lord and Savior. As my Redeemer and friend. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And make me to be. The person you want me to be. According to your will. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.